We're talking about hope. It's a word that, you know, we hear. Um, I've heard invitations given and, you know, hope is not something you wish for. It's an expectation. And so, you know, we know this word, or at least I hope we do. Interesting play on that word. But we're talking about a beautiful word. For an ugly people. I want to reread what Dan read for us so we can focus on this aspect of hope. And look at it from a standpoint of who we are without our Lord. And the victory that we have because of Him. Again in chapter 3. In verse 3 he says, For we ourselves were also once foolish disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Before I read the next verses, does that even sound like us? I believe sometimes when no one else knows but yourself... And you're honest with the way you react to certain situations, the way you think about certain things. This describes us very well. It's only because we can put a facade up, a smile, a nice gesture, some kind words, if you will, and and everything doesn't look like darkness and full of sin. When Paul writes to Titus, he says, we ourselves were this way. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace... We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's what we have. The hope of heaven. And when we look at this whole aspect of hope and, and, and heaven itself, I cannot help but, but think of what heaven is like, where it is, how we get there. And, and you know, try as we might, none of us. We're not smarting up. I don't care the... Dan's an engineer. Who else are engineers here? I think Ryan. We can't engineer our way. Steve can't engineer our way to heaven. You can't even get a patent for it. Just not attainable. It's too high. High in a physical physical sense as we would know it, if you will. If, if you look at the way the scripture refers to heavens being high in the heavens, in the sky, if you will. Figuratively speaking, spiritually speaking, how do we attain to this dwelling place called heaven? It's too pure for us. It's too perfect, if you will. It's too high. No one can attain it. And the thing is, not only can we not attain heaven of our own will, if you will, of our own accord, of our own strength, not only can we not do that, here's what we justly deserve. We're told in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 that the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. I want you to read that text with me, and I want to focus on just a little section of this and note that in light of this sermon this morning, 
He says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And what happens to us? What happens without the Lord and without his grace to every one of us in this room? Every one of us who has ever breathed and lived long enough. Where we transgress the will of God. I was looking up last night. Different translations on the word hell. Just in the New Testament. Gehenna. You know how often hell is used in the New Testament? In the New American Standard Translation, 15. 15 times. It's 14 to 13, depending on other translations. Do you know how many times heaven is used in the New American Standard Translation? 275. There's something different about the Old Testament in the, what you read and how it's read with regard to hell. And there's something about the New Testament because of Jesus Christ that gives us this very hope that we're talking about this morning. We're talking about ugly people, people full of sin, who can actually come to a place that otherwise is too high for us. A place that we just don't deserve. This is what God has for us. Because we justly deserve God's wrath. We deserve, because of our sins, to be separated from our eternal God for eternity. The thing is, it's too easy for us to just have sermons where words are coming out and ears are just hearing words but not emotionally being attached to those words. Brethren, we should all tremble at the very fact that hell is real. And every one of us deserve to be in hell. Every one of us deserve it. No one more than another, no one better than another to say, well, you don't deserve hell because you're such a good person. It's just not true in the standard of God. If you could stand next to God, if it's even possible to think of it that way, would your mind, your audacity, your arrogance even allow such a thought? Because all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory. There is none good. There is none righteous, we are told. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. We should tremble at the thought that this is what we deserve. We have wonderful elders that deserve hell. Jerry's a wonderful evangelist. He deserves hell. Where's Miss Peggy? I love her pies. Miss Peggy, I don't know where you are. I can't see you right now. There you are, dear. You're hiding behind Gordon. <laughs> you deserve hell. You really do. As sweet as you are. We all deserve it. We cannot attain to heaven. I don't care how good we are in this world. We just can't do it. Paul told Titus... It is because of Jesus Christ that we have the hope for heaven. Well, how do we get there? 
How does it happen? If we look at this infinite mercy that God has shown to us, Peter goes on to say in verses 11 through 13 in 2 Peter what this is like. I want to continue reading after verse 10 of 2 Peter 3. He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, all this earthly stuff gone. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we. According to his promise. Look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Brethren, that's the hope that we have. We who are found in Christ Jesus have the hope for heaven. It is because of God's infinite mercy that this is being offered to us. Do we believe in the thing that we should be given hope for? That's the promise that God has provided for us. And instead of expecting wrath, instead of hoping, if you want to use that word synonymously, instead of expecting wrath, we can expect heaven. Not wish for it, brethren. Not like, I wonder if. You see, God is all-powerful, right? And if He is all-powerful, He can make it so that those who are found in Him are guaranteed heaven. Let me repeat that one more time. Those found in Him are guaranteed. There's nothing that can separate you from the promise of God. Now, someone immediately say, but Mitch, of course sin does. Yes, but those who are in sin, walking in sin, living in sin, are separated from God. You're not in Him. But when you're in Him, that's guaranteed. And our confidence is in the Lord for this. And so when we, when we look at this, this is the anchor that we have. And so this morning what we're looking at are these two simple points. How do we receive that hope? And how does that hope serve as an anchor for us when we serve the Lord? And so I want us to note that first of all. First of all, I want you to know if you want to receive hope, you've got to first come to this realization. And I think that that while many of us may have been baptized into Christ without having gone through this phase, I believe eventually you come to this point. One way or another. You see, when Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 2, while the, the content generally can be to all people, he's at one point speaking primarily to these Gentiles and the relationship that they have with God, or let me just rephrase that, no relationship really with God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12. It says here in the text, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. No hope. And so it's good news then when someone comes along and tells you you're lost. But Jesus came to save. You see, many get this idea, well, okay, I'm supposed to just get baptized because that's what the Bible says. And You've got to realize at some point you've got to understand why you're being baptized into Christ. 
You're lost and without hope. Some people just go through the motions. I've done what I need to do. My ticket is punched. But you see, the problem with that very thought is that you don't realize how wretched and miserable you actually are without God. And because you don't realize that, you don't cling to Him. And there are many brethren that go through this world never really clinging to God. There are many Christians going through this world just going through the motions. And hope is nothing but a word. It does have, has no power. But when you come to the realization that without God you are absolutely, undeniably lost without hope in this world, and that you justly deserve an eternity of being separated from God, and I can't even describe what that is like other than using the terms in the Scriptures. Hellfire, darkness, pain, agony, wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, what is that? It's as far as it goes, the, the, the descriptions do no justice to what hell is like. When you come to that realization, and there are some Christians who are not there yet, have not come to that realization, then it's hard to really grasp on to hope. We can talk a good talk. We can academically, intellectually know what it is and how we can get it. But until that you are convinced, convicted of your own sins, then you can come to understand this hope. It's not until then you, can you genuinely have that relationship with God until you acknowledge that reality. That's my personal belief on, on why there are Christians that just don't really cling to and walk with the Lord. It is my personal observation why that when we when we sing we may not necessarily pour our hearts out to God it's just words notes when you come to this understanding you're on the right track when you come to that then the good news really becomes good news and see in our modern English good news is like the gospel good news okay it's good. what is it good news repent the thing of repentance is how is that good news it really is good news. You take someone who absolutely is lost and wretched and they have no way of getting out of their physical state until they are saved. Look at them crying. Everyone cries when they have lived through such wretchedness and are taken out of that quagmire, if you will, to salvation. Whatever that salvation is. I mean, yesterday, for about five minutes, I was watching in the first half of the Georgia-LSU game. It seemed to be a great game. I don't know what happened. I turned the TV off, turned back later. The game was just not even there. It was a blowout. But I remember watching the halftime show with the Dr. Pepper thing, and there was these two girls, and they're trying to throw footballs in, and whoever wins gets a $100,000 scholarship for their education. And this, this girl wins, and she starts bawling. Why? You get education? What is that? Until you realize, I don't have the means to pay for that schooling. And it's all paid for. 
I'd cry too if I were in front of everyone and I wanted that money for my schooling. I would cry too. I mean, if, if I already have 100000 to pay for my education, I'm like, oh, great, I won. When you don't have it, what a big deal. Same thing with our salvation. How much more with our salvation? And so that's the first thing we have to understand. And it's through this good news then that we learn of God's grace. We learn of the infinite mercy that we're talking about. And it is for this very reason Paul tells Titus, Peter tells his brethren what manner we ought to live. That's what the good news does for us. That we would be faithful to keep the promise that God has given to us. And so we learn that God is faithful to us. How do we react? If God is true and he does not lie, and we're told that in Hebrews chapter 6, that in God it's impossible for him to lie, then we can believe his promise. The very thing that, that Joel read out of the Gospel of Mark about Thomas's song, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. That's the promise that God has made. We use it doctrinally. Brethren, when Jesus was saying that he wasn't espousing doctrine, he was establishing a promise. He who believes and is saved will be saved. I mean, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. That's a promise that I'm giving to you. That's what he has. God doesn't lie. The promise that all who put their trust in him has the hope of eternal life is steadfast, immovable. Brethren, I can go to my grave right now. I could die right now and be completely content. And I mean it sincerely. It bothers my soul when I hear my own brothers and my own sisters in Christ saying, I don't know if I die right now. I just don't know. And usually what's coupled with those words are these words. I don't know if I've been good enough. I don't know if I've done enough. As if you could attain to heaven. You can't. Can't do it. God's promise makes it so that we can. To those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what we have. And so, because of the good news then, we have this anchor. That just doesn't keep us moving so far to the left or to the right. And when the trials of life comes... And when we are tempted to, to go to the left or go to the right, that anchor called hope keeps us steadfast, keeps us right where we need to be with that promise. That we can gaze upon heaven and gaze upon our God because of this promise He has given to us. We keep on living. Not so attached to the things of this world. You know what, like, I, I know this is getting off topic just a little bit, but I need to share this because it lets you know the, the comparison I'm going to make. So at our house in Georgia, the boys always got in trouble because they would dig up the yard. I wanted to, mind you, we had like six different kinds of weeds that made up our backyard. But it wasn't the best, but it was green when it rained. And when you dig it up, it doesn't look as pretty as the green weeds. <laughs> I said, boys, guess what? On the other side of this ditch, ravine, whatever is in our yard, on that side, you dig to your heart's content. Dig all you want. It's almost like, you know, 
really is an upgrade. The kids can just go and play and do whatever. They're hammering stuff. They found a dead deer in the yard. I mean, skeletons with hooves. I mean, really cool stuff. Cool stuff. I mean, but we get so attached that we're like pilgrims. Instead of like pilgrims, we get attached to the things of this world and all the stuff, material stuff. Rather than enjoy what God has blessed us for just this temporary moment of time. Enjoy the blessing. But no, this is not our home. Jerry and I may have bought physical homes, but that's just not our citizenship. That's the same with you, my brothers and my sisters. We're not citizens here. Maybe physically. I mean this in in the most humble way. We're beyond that. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're just pilgrims right here. Because our hope is so laid up that we long for heaven. And we can actually sing the words from the songs that were given. I think, Dave, one of the songs that he had was that we don't desire to stay here. I mean, when you sang that song, I forgot what song it was. I, I don't know. What was, what was the name of the song? Our anchor? Was it? What, higher ground? Yes. I'm pressing on. Higher ground. Our home is not here. Did, when you sang that song, did you mean it? Did you really mean those words? Or did you just go through and then when the song is over, man, I just cannot leave this world. I got to see this. I got to do that. See, we've got great hope for something much, much better that we cannot wait to be with our God. And that while we are here, we enjoy and live through the joys and we live through the very trials that might cause us to otherwise waver or even be led astray from that hope. It keeps us from venturing too far off to the left or to the right. That's what Titus goes on to say when he finishes up in that reading in Titus chapter 3. And I want to reread Titus chapter 3, verse 8. Let that run for us earlier this morning. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm to you constantly, that those who have believed in God, what? Should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. This is the result of that anchor of hope that you have. You're not earning your way to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He made that very clear in the previous verses. But because our citizenship is in heaven, because our hope is laid up in heaven for eternal life, those who believe in God and the promise of salvation, we live in such a manner as to do what glorifies Him, magnifies Him. That's what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and particularly verse 10 is talking about right here. Very clear. God made us to work the good works of God, that His name would be magnified, glorified, so that others would see your light and look to the very promise that He has offered to them as well as you. That they may have belief in Jesus as the Christ, to be baptized into Christ and have salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. And that we can hold each other's hand. We can make it through the things of this life. And here's where I think the rubber meets the road, right here. You see, what happens as Christians is, after we've been baptized into Christ, because we live in this world and because we're of the flesh, 
We don't live sinless lives. See, brethren, I think we already know this academically. That's nothing new to you. But here's where many Christians leave the Lord. We go off into sin. And somehow we get stuck in this quicksand called sin. And at some point, without even realizing it, we get sunk to such a point we don't feel that hope anymore. And we feel just as lost as before we obeyed the gospel. In fact, maybe more so. There's desperation. There's questions. How could God love me? There's a sister in Christ back in Georgia that, that I just always remember her saying to me over and over after 15 years. God doesn't hear my prayers. How could God love me, a sinner? For all the awful things that I've done in my life. All I could do is point to what the Apostle Paul said. You see, knowing God's promise of eternal life is what gets us through those very moments. The thing is, many people don't get to this point where they can go back to this hope. They, they forget about the promises of God. They only think of the wrath of God. Or to, to make their conscience at ease, don't even believe in God anymore. That way their conscience is, is no longer burdened because they've lost that hope. But those who cling on to that hope, even in that quicksand, if you will, that feeling where you don't know what to do, you're in desperation mode, you have this hope. When you're faced with doubts, you have this hope. When you're faced with questions, you have this hope. I'm going to read Hebrew, uh, Romans chapter 7. Because I believe this is the answer to my sister in Christ who felt that way. And to those of you in this room who may be feeling this way right now. You see, when you read Romans 7, there's two ways of, of looking at this. Paul is, is going on and he's describing this wretched man who knows that the law is perfect, and the things of the law, which are very good, he wants to do, but he doesn't do them all the time. And the things that he hates, he practices. The question is, is Paul talking about himself or man in general? Is he talking Judaism and then Christianity because he's talking first person there. And so there's debate over this. But here's what I want you to focus on. I want you to focus on the fact that chapter 7, while dealing with the law, the law of God, you mean, I mean, is nothing but despair because the law points out our sins. That we're all guilty of sin. That we all, in fact, do fall short of God's glory. Every one of us. That's what chapter 7 points out. And that we fail miserably. Not that we just, oh, I missed the mark here. And then, you know, once in a great while there. I mean, the illustration that he's giving, whether he's talking of himself or of man in general, I, I don't know. It seems like he's using himself in first person. But it seems like he's talking about, I believe, 
himself even as potentially a Christian. Because you have victory. Chapter 8 is victory. Look at verses 23 and 24 in the last um, verses of Romans chapter 7. And look at one scripture and the very next scripture. One full of despair without hope and the other full of victory and hope. Verse, I, mean, I said verse 23 and 24. It's 24 and 25. He says, O wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? He didn't say, oh, wretched man that I was. And yes, maybe he could be using some kind of a tool, some kind of a methodology, maybe as a teaching tool. I don't know. And even if he is using it in some way that I don't understand, I can guarantee you Christians who are going through this right now can take this principle And use it to your benefit. I thank God. This wretched man that I am, I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind on myself, may serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And for whatever all that means, what this this tells me is that there is victory in Jesus Christ because of the promise that God made through him. And that is why when you read the uh, the next chapter, in chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are found in Jesus Christ. No condemnation. There's hope that while I am in this world, I may continue to be guilty of committing sin. Not living in sin. I want to make that very clear. But guilty of committing it. And I can thank my God that through Jesus Christ, I have salvation. Brethren, when we're talking about hope, God promised so much. He's promised us everything and beyond all that he gave to Solomon. If Solomon had it all, even then it's nothing without salvation found in Jesus Christ. And that is the driving force that I pray converts you. And what I mean by that is, there are those that, who have named the name of Jesus Christ, who have put on Christ in the way of baptism, but not in the way of conversion, let's say. And you fall on your knees. They recognize who you are without the Lord and how wretched and miserable you are. It is then that you can appreciate the words of the Apostle Paul as given here. Oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? But I thank my God through Jesus Christ. We can conform our lives, be made into the very image of our Savior because of this humbling and conversion. And that's when hope has its power. That's when hope is allowing me to go, yes, I may have been guilty of my sins and I feel so awful about them, but I can move forward. I don't have to feel like I'm stuck in this quicksand. I can go on. So I want to ask you, do you have this kind of hope? Do you want this kind of hope if you don't have it? Because the gift is there. The promise has been made. Do you take hold of that promise? Do you take hold of it in such a manner it brings you to the point 
of putting your complete trust and faith in the promise of God.